relax, <laughs> sit back. And we're going to talk about us today. The hope of the church, the hope of the world is us. The scripture says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then he goes further on and says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know, you know that your labor is not in vain. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Martin Luther King said in a letter from the Birmingham jail, these words, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. We are tied in a single garment of destiny because whatever affects one of us directly affects all of us indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow provincial outsider agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside these United States can never be considered an outsider. These words were penned in what was famously referred to as the letter from a Birmingham jail. And on April 16, 1963, Dr. King addressed this correspondence to eight white pastors and begins the letter on scraps of paper, newspaper, any paper he could find that says, my fellow clergymen. Now there's a distinction because normally he's talking to politicians, normally he's talking to other people, but now he's talking to his people because each had written to him to chide him for choosing to protest in Birmingham and not waiting until after there was an election that would have dethroned the reign of terror of Sheriff Bull Connor. Now if you've seen pictures of civil rights movement and you see the hoses and the dogs, this was the doing of this man. Kind of reminds you of Herod, doesn't it? Back in the Bible. He was unsympathetic to the harassment of minorities and communities. But Reverend King, now their brother talking to other Christians in the Lord, thought it so important to answer them that he looked for scraps of paper to do it on. And in that letter, he exclaimed that because we are one in Christ that we can't wait. He couldn't wait as the church, and you shouldn't ask me to. Now you see all these men, including Reverend King, were educated in some sort of seminary somewhere and were taught the same word of God, I hope, that Dr. King was, because after all, the word says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. The word goes on to say, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. Because there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But their actions said otherwise. But I'm not here to talk about them because this is not Reverend King's Sunday. This is Jesus' Sunday. And it happens to be the day he was born on. But he said some profound things 
because he was our brother in Christ. So we've talked for the past few Sundays about hope. It says being hopeful, not just hope-filled. Some people see the glass half empty. Some people see it half full. We're here to talk about that. The first Sunday we talked about the hopes of a new beginning. We start the new year off, we came, and I think we came, I think we did, because this place was packed on the first Sunday after Christmas. It must have been everybody's resolution, I'm gonna go to church this year. <laughs> we'll see what happens by April, okay? <laughs> then there's the hope of the epiphany, God's revelation to us, he came to us, he laid down his life for us, we know who he is, we are hidden in him because we trusted him. But this Sunday, we're going to talk about us. This is going to be a family discussion. We're going to talk about the hope of the church because that's who we are. No matter where we are, no matter how we do it, no matter how we pray, lay in the floor, scream out loud, raise our hands, sit in silence with our hands folded, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. As our pastor's pointed out so many times, he's a firstborn. Well, guess what? I am too. And that comes with its own set of issues. And I want y'all to know I got some serious issues. All you have to do is ask my husband. <laughs> we'll be married 40 years this year, and he can tell you all those issues and then some. My siblings will tell you the same thing. My parents will tell you the same thing, but I blame it on them. <laughs> because when you're the firstborn or the only child, it's all about you. I had nine years of it being all about me. <laughs> I could ask what I wanted for breakfast. I could go to my aunts and smile, and they'd say to my mother, leave that baby alone. And they would, because it was all about me. And the Lord knows I didn't have to be patient with anybody. I didn't have to decide if I was going to share my Tonka truck or take my feet in the bottom of the Barbie that my brother eventually pushed in on the 1950s version of a Barbie doll. I didn't do any of that stuff. But then the baby came. Somebody's laughing. <laughs> then the baby came, my little sister. Amidst the anticipation and some curiosity, there was this momentary feeling of displacement. Oh, shoot. This baby's getting all the attention. And after a while, at least for me, it took me a while to become protective. I don't think I was jealous, but I was looked at her. And I said, oh, she can't really take my place. <laughs> She's going to have a place of her own. And I began at nine years old to be the second mama to my little sister. I became protective. I nurtured her. I fed her. I even got to change her diaper. I was responsible for her, for taking her to the playground. And then my brother came and I had to take both of them. And the love towards them turned the situation from this other kid to now our family. From my house to our house. That's not like, unlike what happens to us or should happen to us when we become a part of the body of Christ. That means, friends, that unlike Cain, who killed his brother and said he wasn't responsible, we are our brother and our sister's keeper. Scripture tells us that we ought to look upon others as better than ourselves, that we are here to feed, clothe, and protect our siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as those who are in need around us. 
This redemptive work of sheltering and protecting others is so important that God got Matthew to pen a whole chapter about us and others, us as the church. And it says in Matthew chapter 25 that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates his sheep from his goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and then the king, our God, will say, from his throne, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you. For since the creation of the world, I made it for you. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will say, that's us to him, Lord, when did we do this? When did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, needing clothes, and we clothed you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go visit you? And then the king, our father, will say, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So that means, guys, that we're on a battlefield, that we have work to do. I didn't sing that song to entertain you. It was a song of march and triumph and calling us into the work of Jesus Christ, that we are on a battlefield. So though our salvation as Christians is a gift from God, God's expectation of us is that we do what he said we should do. Because we're family, he's our father. I can imagine being in a big old house with all of y'all, and our dad comes in, and he says, Mark, did you take out the garbage? <laughs> and he says, Terry, did you wash the dishes? <laughs> did you do what keeps his family running, and then in turn serves others? That was the dream, that was the hope, that Martin Luther King had. Not that anybody gets anything better than the other one, that we all act like family. God says that we should concern ourselves with the needs of others, that we should practice sacrificial giving of resources and wishes, that we lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Now, there aren't too many people I'm gonna run in front of a car for, I'm just gonna be honest with you. But. Jesus says, if you're mine, you will. You'll lay down your life for the others. He asked that we be the good Samaritan, that, and not just meet a need, but you know what the good Samaritan did? He not only took care of that person, he paid up the bill for the next week and said, if you need more, call me. Who does that? Christians do. He tells us that we should assure that justice rolled down like a mighty wind. Well, that's kind of hard for us because I hear Christians say all the time, we shouldn't be involved in politics. We should, well, guess what? You're here. And guess what you're doing? If you're not doing anything, you're still involved, no matter what. And God is asking us to make decisions about what happens around us and to the people around us. And we should do it. Because justice doesn't happen 
if it's just us, if it's just one group of people and not the others. God is calling us into the family to take care of one another. He's asking that his will that he's already decreed in heaven be done here on earth. That we not ignore the folks next to us. It's easy at a big church to come and go and nobody ever sees you. But I dare you to sit one Sunday and find somebody sitting by themselves and just go sit next to them. You'll find out the most miraculous thing about your sister or about your brother. Then he says, there's no greater love than you lay down your life for your friends. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> that's a lot. That's asking a lot. So you mean I just can't fight for others as long as it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable? So you mean I have to cry injustice when God says it's unjust? So you mean I have to be concerned for the least of these and those in prison? Ooh, you mean I shouldn't follow the crowd and follow Jesus? Does that mean I have to acknowledge that those people who are not like me, who are different, who are doing whatever they do, but call themselves Christians, are my brothers and sisters? They're my family that I need to fellowship with them? Does it mean that when I see prejudice and mistreatment happen to my family who are of another race that I do nothing? Hmm. The answer is you do something. And it's a big whopping yes to all of those things. I have a friend named Brenda Salter McNeil, Neil, who's now in Pete's hometown in Seattle, teaching and preaching. And she came to a conference this year and she was talking about her experience having gone to Ferguson, Missouri after that first incident, which seemed to have kicked off all the killing in our nation. And the first time she went down, the young people looked at her and said, oh lady, what are you doing here with all your church people? And I, I don't doubt that in this community, young people say, old people, what are you trying to tell me about Jesus when I see how you live? because you show me nothing. So they had the little conference, they went home, they came back a year later to see if there had been any changes. And while they were there, a shooting of a police officer happened. Then a shooting of another young man of color happened. And they were about to get on the plane and those young people watched them as they were packing and they were gonna take them to the airport and they looked at them and said, so this is what you're gonna do. They were white, they were black, they were Latino. They said, you're gonna leave us? Is this what your faith tells us to do? Guess what they did? Some of them went home, <laughs> but some of them stayed. Because they needed their elders, they needed the wisdom, they needed their family to walk them through this red, black, green, <laughs> yellow people. They needed the body of Christ, to surround them and envelop them. Tonight I'm going to a place, Progressive Baptist Church, those of you who know Charlie Dates, um, we're going to meet 36 pastors from across the city of Chicago. We've been praying for this city. And I don't know that our prayers have done much, and I think they have, but what it's done is bring us together. Pakistani, 
Hindis who are now Christians, Hispanics, every neighborhood will be represented and all we're gonna do is fall on our faces and pray. And we're gonna read through the letter to a Birmingham prison because it was written to Christians. Because we can't wait. Martin Luther King said we can't wait eight brothers in Christ because I'll be waiting forever unless I do something now. I was on Moody Radio this week and we were talking with across the table from some brothers and one of whom goes to this church and they read for the first time this Birmingham letter and they said, how do we miss this? How do we not hear this about Martin Luther King? And I encourage you to read it on your own because it's written to us. And he said, it's not until I started hanging out with Felicia and Roy that I realized that they experience stuff that I don't experience. They get followed in the store for no reason. They get ignored at the counters for no reason. They get skipped over. And you would think after 50 some odd years of being an adult, and I'm older than that, that I've done everything that America's told me to do is get the degrees and do all the stuff and then it's gonna be a great melting pot. But you know what? It's not. Women, you know this. Folks in incomes who are trying to straddle that fence know this, that it ain't equal. But in Christ, it is. It changes. I'm getting tired at this stage of being told I must be misinterpreting what I saw. I know what I saw. I'm getting tired of being told that, well, you just don't do it our way. I know. I do it differently, but different is not deficient. I am your brother. You are my brother and sister, and we're family. And if we were all alike, some of us wouldn't be necessary. <laughs> That's a serious thought. We would not be necessary. That's just what Reverend Martin Luther King was saying to his brothers and sisters. When asked why he was there, he says, I was in Birmingham because injustice is here. I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I can't sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Well, here's my challenge to us. Can we sit? at Christ Church of Oakbrook and not be concerned with what happens to us six miles away? Because six miles away from here, there is hunger, there is poverty, there is need, there is abuse. Everything that we ran from 50 years ago in the city to be comfortable, and most of us, if we're honest, grew up somewhere around Chicago where our ancestors did, or our forefathers did, and we're here, and guess where it came? because the church didn't do what it was supposed to do in the city. But great is thy faithfulness. Kerry Elias, did I pronounce it right? No, I didn't, pronounce it for me. Grace and mercy <laughs> allows us to have another chance, guys. And here's my challenge to us as a church. As the church that sits right here, and I've done this before because I'm really, really am serious. And I think we're gonna be able to do this. We're on the corner of 31st Street and York Road because injustice is less than six miles away from us. 
And in the city that we come from, Chicago, injustice is less than 10 minutes from us. We could, but we shouldn't sit idly by here and not be concerned about what happens around us. That's why there's a Roosevelt Road Initiative. Because injustice there and here is a threat to injustice everywhere. That's what happened then. And this is what's happening now because God is calling us to be the church, the hope of the world. If we don't do it, nobody will. Jesus left us and he said, if you don't say it, if you don't tell them, I'll cause the rocks to cry out. And the old folks in my church say, I don't want no rocks crying out for me. I want to be the hope. I want to be the fellowship. I want to be the family of God because Christ is in us and we take ourselves to these neighborhoods. So, Yes, let's sit and review with gratitude what happened in the past. That's good. Uh, you know, sometimes I have to tell my husband, yeah, well, back then we were like, I said, we're not that old. Yeah, we're not that old. The stuff is still happening to us now, and we learn from the past. And we build on the past. But we need to review and move. Then let's rejoice in the revelation of what Christ has done for us and is doing for us through Jesus. That's the epiphany. But folks, let's ask Jesus for the strength to re-engage in our communities now. Some of you live in places and you haven't talked to the neighbor four doors down. I know because you told me. Some of you live in places where the neighbor doesn't talk to you for some reason. Maybe because of your nationality. Maybe because of your culture. Maybe because you're overweight, I don't know. But we're not talking. We are not being the family of God. We should be the first to run to that door when they move in and go, hey. And I'm persistent, I had one neighbor that just would not talk to me and I kept going, hey, 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 until they finally responded. Then their toilet broke and they had to come to my house. <laughs> but persistence, in love and persistence in fellowship, and now we're the best of friends. Dr. King was not only speaking back to those eight men on what they already knew, because these were pastors. You're reading the word of God that tells us all things for life and God. They knew what they were supposed to be doing. They just made a choice not to, and they were afraid. Fear will keep you from doing some things that you know you ought to do. I've watched it in office settings when somebody's getting come down on and as a Christian we go, ah, I'm just, just going to go along with it. You know, these are the politics. This is what happens. I'm just going to stay out of that because after all it's not bothering me. And you know that that's your brother and sister and you know that what's being done to that person is unfair. But the easy way is to mind my own business when clearly God says we're supposed to be concerned about the things of other people. Now there's a way to do that so you don't get fired. But we need to be salt and light where we exist. Let that not be the case for us guys in this church, in this big family of Christ that we forget and ignore and we see injustice around us at our workplaces, in our schools, young people. You see the kids who are getting picked on. 
there's a responsibility because you know Jesus to come alongside that kid. If you're the kid that's being picked on, I'm not going to say you shouldn't punch him, but I'm going to say that you should seek friendships. Be the friend to the person that, that they won't be to themselves. For the word of God says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared for us in advance to do, just like we prepared for my baby sister. And we knew she was coming. He knew you were going to be part of the family. And so he prepared something for you to do. For some of us, it's music. Others of us, it's preaching. Others of us, it's teaching. Doctors, lawyers, and wherever you are, you are called to do justice. And then it says, therefore, my dear brethren and sisters, stand firm. Don't let anything move you. The country is in a, a state of flux right now. But you know who's always been the same? Jesus. The same today, yesterday, and forever. And because we're his, we're the same today, tomorrow, and for all the yesterdays. So it says, give yourself fully to this work, not looking to the left or the right for approval and the sanction of others. Let nothing move you in your convictions, knowing that your actions count because God says they do. So that's why he couldn't wait. That's why we shouldn't wait, because the time for doing justice, the time for speaking truth, the time for re-engaging in the redemptive work of the church is now. Because injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And you and I are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. And we're tied to this single garment. And for us, it's the garment of Christ. Because whatever affects one directly affects all of us indirectly. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we can't wait.